Section 28 of Great Epics in American History, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Great Epics in American History, Volume 3. The French War and the Revolution, 1745-1782, by Francis Whiting Halsey. Section 28. The Capture of Vincennes, 1779. George Rogers Clark's Own Account. Everything being ready, on the 5th of February, after receiving a lecture and absolution from the priest, we crossed the Cascassia River with 170 men, marched about three miles, and encamped, where we lay until the 7th and set out. The weather wet, but fortunately not cold for the season, and a great part of the plains under water several inches deep. It was difficult and very fatiguing marching. Crossing a narrow deep lake in the canoes and marching some distances, we came to a copse of timber called the Warrior's Island. We were now in full view of the fort and town, not a shrub between us at about two miles' distance. Every man now feasted his eyes and forgot that he had suffered anything, saying that all that had been passed was owing to good policy and nothing but what a man could bear, and that a soldier had no right to think, etc passing from one extreme to another, which is common in such cases. It was now that we had to display our abilities. The plain between us and the town was not a perfect level. The sunken grounds were covered with water full of ducks. Our situation was now truly critical, no possibility of retreating in case of defeat, and in full view of a town that had, at this time, upward of six hundred men in it, troops, inhabitants, and Indians. The crew of the galley, though not fifty men, would have now been a reinforcement of immense magnitude to our little army, if I may so call it, but we would not think of them. We were now in the situation that I had labored to get ourselves in. The idea of being made prisoner was foreign to almost every man, as they expected nothing but torture from the savages if they fell into their hands. Our fate was now to be determined, probably in a few hours. We knew that nothing but the most daring conduct would ensure success. I knew the number of the inhabitants wished us well, and that many were lukewarm to the interests of either. And I also learned that the Grand Chief, the Tobacco Son, had but a few days before openly declared in council with the British that he had a brother and friend to the Big Knives. These were favorable circumstances, and as there is but little probability of our remaining until dark undiscovered, I determined to begin the career immediately, and wrote the following placard to the inhabitants. To the inhabitants of the Post Vincennes. Gentlemen, being now within two miles of your village, with my army, determined to take your fort this night, and not being willing to surprise you, I take this method to request such of you as are true citizens and willing to enjoy the liberty I bring you, to remain still in your houses. And those, if there are any to be, that are friends to the king, will instantly repair to the fort, and join the hair-buyer general and fight like men. And, if any of you do not go to the fort, and shall be discovered afterward, they may depend on severe punishment. On the contrary, those who are true friends to liberty may depend on being well treated, and I once more request of them to keep out of the streets. For every one I find in arms on my arrival, I shall treat him as an enemy. Signed, G. R. Clark. We anxiously viewed this messenger until he entered the town, and in a few minutes could discover by our glasses some stir in every street that we can penetrate into. 
and the great numbers running or riding out onto the commons were supposed to view us, which was the case. But what surprised us was that nothing had yet happened that had the appearance of a garrison being alarmed, no drum nor gun. We began to suppose that the information we got from our prisoners was false, and that the enemy knew of us and were prepared. A little before sunset we moved, and displayed ourselves in full view of the town, crowds gazing at us. We were plunging ourselves into certain destruction or success. There was no midway thought of. The firing now commenced on the fort, but they did not believe it was an enemy until one of their men was shot down through a port, as drunken Indians frequently saluted the fort after night. The drums now sounded, and the business fairly commenced on both sides. Reinforcements were sent to the attack of the garrison, while other arrangements were being made in town. We now found that the garrison had known nothing of us, that having finished the fort that evening, they had amused themselves at different games, and had just retired before my letter arrived, as it was near roll call. The placard being made public, many of the inhabitants were afraid to show themselves out of the houses for fear of giving offense, and not one dare give information. Our friends flew to the commons and the other convenient places to view the pleasing sight. The garrison was soon completely surrounded, and the firing continued without intermission except about fifteen minutes a little before day until about nine o'clock the following morning. It was kept up by the whole of the troops, joined by a few of the young men of the town who got permission, except fifty men kept as a reserve. I had made myself fully acquainted with the situation of the fort and town and parts relative to each. The cannons of the garrison were on the upper floors of the strong blockhouses at each angle of the fort, eleven feet above the surface and the ports so badly cut that many of our troops lay under the fire of them within twenty or thirty yards of the walls. They did no damage except to the buildings of the town, some of which they much shattered, and their musketry in the dark employed against woodsmen covered by houses, pilings, ditches, and banks of the river, etc., was of but little avail and did no injury to us except wounding a man or two. Sometimes an irregular fire, as hot as possible, was kept up from the different directions for a few minutes, and then only a continual shattering fire at the ports as usual, and a great noise and laughter immediately commenced in different parts of the town by the reserve parties as if they had only fired on the fort for a few minutes for amusement, and as if those continually firing at the fort were only regularly relieved. Conduct similar to this kept the garrison constantly alarmed. They did not know what moment they might be stormed or blown up, as they could plainly discover that we had flung up some entrenchments across the street, and appeared to be frequently busy under the bank of the river, which was within thirty feet of the walls. The situation of the magazine we knew well. Captain Bowman began some works in order to blow it up, in case our artillery should arrive, but as we knew that we were daily liable to be overpowered by the numerous bands of Indians on the river, in case they had again joined the enemy, the certainty of which we were unacquainted with, we resolved to lose no time but to get the fort into our possession as soon as possible. If the vessel did not arrive before the ensuing night, we resolved to undermine the fort and fixed on the spot and plan of executing this work, which we intended to commence the next day. A little before day, the troops were withdrawn from their positions about the fort, except a few parties of observation, and the firing totally ceased. Orders were given in the case of Lamotte's approach not to alarm or fire on him without a certainty of killing or taking the whole. In less than a quarter of an hour, he passed within ten feet of an officer and a party that lay concealed. Ladders were flung over to them, and, as they mounted them, our party shouted. 
many of them fell from the top of the walls, some within and others back. But as they were not fired on, they all got over, much to the joy of their friends. But on considering the matter, they must have been convinced that it was a scheme of ours to let them in, and that we were so strong as to care little about them or the matter of their getting into the garrison. The firing immediately commenced on both sides with double vigor, and I believe more noise could not have been made by the same number of men. Their shouts could not be heard for the firearms, but the continual haze was kept up around the garrison without much being done until about daybreak, when our troops were drawn off to posts prepared for them, about sixty or seventy yards from the fort. A loophole then could scarcely be darkened, but a rifle ball would pass through it. To have stood to their cannon would have destroyed their men, without a probability of doing much service. Our situation was nearly similar. It would have been imprudent in either party to have wasted their men, without some decisive stroke required it. Thus the attack continued until about nine o'clock in the morning of the 24th. I sent a flag with a letter demanding the garrison. We met at the church, about 80 yards from the fort. Lieutenant Governor Hamilton, Major Hay, Superintendent of Indian Affairs Captain Helm, their prisoner Major Bowman, and myself. The conference began. Hamilton produced terms of capitulation, signed, that contained various articles, one of which was that the garrison should be surrendered on their being permitted to go to Pensacola on parole. After deliberating on every article, I rejected the whole. He then wished that I would make some proposition. I told him that I had no other to make other than what I had already made, that his surrendering as prisoners at discretion. We took our leave and parted but a few steps when Hamilton stopped and politely asked me if I would be so kind as to give him my reasons for refusing the garrison any other terms other than those I had offered. I told him I had no objections in giving him my real reasons, which were simply these, that I knew the greater part of the principal Indian partisans of Detroit were with him, and that I wanted an excuse to put them to death, or otherwise treat them as I thought proper, that the cries of the widows and the fatherless on the frontier, which they had occasioned, now required their blood from my hand, and that I did not choose to be so timorous as to disobey the absolute commands of their authority which I looked upon to be next to divine. And I would rather lose fifty men than not empower myself to execute this piece of business with propriety. That if he chose to risk the massacre of his garrison for their sakes, it was his own pleasure, and that I might, perhaps, take it into my head to send for some of those widows to see it executed. From that moment, my resolutions changed respecting Hamilton's situation. I told them that we would return to our respective posts, that I would reconsider the matter and let him know the result. No offensive measures should be taken in the meantime. Agreed to, and we parted. What had passed being made known to our officers, it was agreed that we should moderate our resolutions. The business being now nearly at an end, troops were posted in several strong houses around the garrison and patrolled during the night to prevent any deception that might be attempted. The remainder on duty lay on their arms, and for the first time for many days past got some rest. During the siege, I got only one man wounded. Not being able to lose many, I made them secure themselves well. Seven were badly wounded in the fort through ports. End of section 28